Welcome to everybody. Welcome those who are online. Glad to have you with us. We're in a new series. We're just starting it, so you're right on time. We're going to talk about how to deal with difficult people. Just being real that there are some difficult people in this world. You know the kind of people, they walk in the room and you just sigh. The hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you kind of groan. The people that get under your skin and like anything they say gets on your nerves. You know those, and like your spider senses start tingling when they come in the room. You're just like, oh, something bad's going to happen. Remember when you were in school and the teacher started breaking people up into groups and there'd be that one guy. You'd start praying like, please, not that guy, God. Lord, don't put me with that guy. And you always got put with that guy. There's difficult people in this world. Maybe it's someone who's mean, someone who's a bully, someone who's rude or brash. And we end up dealing with these people on a daily basis. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know anybody like that. You might be those people. (laughs) And there's a lot of talk I see right now about how we need to remove toxic people from our lives. And there's some truth to that. But at the same time, difficult people are unavoidable. And if you don't learn how to deal with them, you'll oftentimes see that you'll retract and withdraw from all people trying to avoid these difficult people. So I see sometimes, you know, you got parents with young kids. Like, I don't want to get to know the other parents on my kids' sports teams, right? I, or maybe it's like, I don't want to get close to my other coworkers. And, 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 or, or maybe it's, you know, I, I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I just want to go in my garage at the end of the day. I don't want to deal with all. Or you come to church, you're one of those people, you just go to church. And you never become the church because you say, no, no thanks. I've been there. I've done that. I got the scars to show for it. I don't necessarily want to deal with people because people are difficult. The problem is you can't avoid people and obey Jesus. And here's what I mean. Mark 16, Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, not just to the people who you have a lot in common with and you get along with and you really like each other and you enjoy, but everyone. And it's not that shocking that the people who need Jesus the most are also sometimes the most difficult people. So you got to learn how to deal with them. In order to to reach people, you've got to learn how to deal with these types of difficult people. Uh, And so I think this is something that's true in our lives. We have to deal with this on an ongoing basis. Maybe you've got some people like that in your family when you think about Thanksgiving coming up. Anyone in your family who just sees the world totally different than you, you're like, yeah, there's some people in my family. I just don't even understand how we share common ancestors. Like, how do we descend from the same people? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're totally different. Like, you like football. They like ballet. You like Coca-Cola. They like Pepsi. You vote Republican, they're different, you know? (laughs) Just like oil and water, you just don't mix, you know? And what we tend to do, this is just human nature, we all tend to do this. We tend to gather together naturally with the people that we have the most in common with. And then oftentimes we'll demonize the people who are difficult, who are different from us. And so... We've got to learn how to deal with difficult people because if you avoid everyone that you disagree with, your world will become a very small place and you won't be able to do very much for Jesus. 
So let me talk about this, how to deal with disagreeable people. That's what I want to focus on this week. These are the people that are, they're the ones that just really rub you the wrong way. Uh, They're unpleasant. They're irritating. In fact, the definition of disagreeable, contrary to one's taste or liking, unpleasant, offensive, repugnant. Maybe you can find these people just, you know, really Really difficult to be around. Uh, these are people that just get on your nerves. And it's probably because they have entirely different values than you. They don't care about the things you care about. They think differently than you. They talk differently than you. They have an entirely different way of seeing the world. It's like they say men are from Mars, women are from Venus. These people are from an entirely different universe. Maybe a different species. You wonder sometimes. But let me explain something first that might help you not to get so irritated in the first place. Because that's helpful, isn't it? You know, it's helpful if you can just kind of not get irritated with people in the first place. That makes it simpler. Well, here's what you need to realize. Your worldview makes you different. Your worldview makes you different. Here's what that means. As a Christian, I'm talking to the Christians right now which is okay because this is a Christian church. So I'm talking to Christians right now. As a Christian, the Bible is the lens through which you see the world. Everything that you see, all the decisions you make, it's through the lens and with the framework of God's world. So you have a biblical worldview. And maybe in some ways you don't have an entirely biblical worldview. That's my job is to try, I'm helping to try to get you there. I want to help you see everything through a biblical lens so that you'll think like God thinks, you'll value the things God values. And, and that's really what happens. As Christians, we have a totally different way of seeing the world. We, we ask questions like this, how can I please God? Amen. Or when we're trying to make a decision, we'll ask, what does the Bible say? Or if we're in a tough situation, we'll ask, what would Jesus do? That's very different than the world, isn't it? Right? The world, it says something totally different, like, do what makes you happy. Or, or it'll say, speak your truth, because your truth is just as valid as the truth. Or, or it'll say, you know, do, follow your heart, live for today. Do, do, do what... What makes you feel good? It's just a very different way of thinking. And as a Christian, it's e- easy to get irritated with the foolishness of this world. It's like, what are people thinking? And that's something that I want you to have a different way of thinking about this. So like my daughter, she's becoming a toddler, almost two. And she does some, she's very cute, don't get me wrong. But she does some really irritating things. You know, she'll, she'll make messes at the worst possible time. She'll cry and yell, even though we're more than happy to give her whatever she wants. Uh, she poops in her pants, you know, just, it's really annoying. But it would be silly for me to get really frustrated at her for doing those things, wouldn't it? She's just doing what toddlers do. In the same way, it's kind of silly for us as Christians to get really mad at the world because they're just doing what sinners do. <laughs> and so here's what you gotta, you got to understand. You can't expect non-Christians to think, speak, or act like Christ. Amen. That's why you're here, to speak and think and act like Christ. But non-Christians, they're not going to do that. And, and a lot of times we get frustrated with them, like, well, why are they making these foolish decisions? They're doing what sinners do. It's as this in 2 Corinthians 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. 
they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. So they can't see the things that you see. They don't know the truth you know. They're not breathing the same air you breathe. They don't speak the same language. They don't have the same values. They're desiring an entirely different reality. Think about the differences. The world thinks all humans are basically good. We know all humans are totally sinful. Case in point, my daughter. She's a little sinner. She's only two. The world thinks the government should ultimately take care of our needs. We know God ultimately takes care of our needs. The world says it's up to us to make the world a better place. We know we're the problem with the world. It's up to Jesus to save the world and make it a better place. The world says Think about today. Do what feels good because life is short. Live for the moment. We say, hey, we want to do what God says is right because eternity is long. It's just a very different way of seeing the world. But we, we don't take credit for it. God has opened our eyes and he has shown us the truth. So now we see these things that we didn't see before. And here's what you're going to find. I'll give you a little spoiler if you're a new Christian. You're going to find this, that the longer you walk with Jesus... The more you start to think like Jesus, and the less you'll have in common with non-Jesus-y people. So I'm giving you a little bit of a, a heads up. Over time, you're going to start to grow apart from your non-Christian friends. It's just, just going to happen. And it's okay to have non-Christian friends. It's totally okay. But you're going to find that over time... You're just going to have less and less in common because you value entirely different things. You have a totally different purpose for living. And, and this is okay, actually. We're, we're called to reach lost people. But you're going, to, you're going to find that you get more out of community with saved people. That's just the way it goes. And so because your worldview is totally different, I want to give you this word of caution. Be careful who you team up with. Before you say, I do, or sign a contract to go into business with someone, make sure you're partnering with people who see the world like you. 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? So this is something I really hope you'll, you'll hear me on, especially if you're single, you're still looking for the one, maybe you're even dating someone right now, or even engaged. Um, make sure that you marry someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. I talk to people all the time, like, oh, my marriage is so hard. What should I do? I'm like, it would have been nice if you had listened and not married an unbeliever. Step one, marry a Christian. Now, I'll say this. If you are married to an unbeliever, I'm not telling you to leave them. The Bible specifically says, do not do that. God wants to use you to lead them to Christ. And we got some people like that in our church. They were led to Christ through their believing spouse. But this is a word of caution. Same thing. Don't go into business with a non-believer. I hear that. You know, my business partner, he stabbed me in the back. Well, what do you expect? He's just doing what sinners do. He's looking out for number one, the way the world taught him. You got to be careful who you get into bed with, literally and figuratively. <laughs> now, you can't avoid disagreeable people entirely, but... Don't voluntarily team up with them. Uh, let's be honest, right? It's easy to get really mad at some of these difficult people, especially when their foolishness has a negative impact on your life. 
That's why we actually really tend to get mad. It's not just that there are foolish people, but that their foolishness can negatively impact your life. That's why you get mad at people who vote differently than you. And you might find yourself just like, why are people so stupid? You, just, you wonder, right? And I want to help you to think about these people like Jesus would think about them. Because it's easy to bash them, but in Matthew 9, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, think about it. You wouldn't get mad at a blind person for being blind. Why would we get mad at spiritually blind people for being spiritually blind? It might be hard, but we should feel compassion for them. They're confused. They're helpless. They don't have Jesus. They don't know the truth. And understanding that helps you to react entirely different to these difficult people. When that Facebook friend who likes to troll you and start fights with you online starts going at you, instead of just responding, you'll remember he's just doing what sinners do. When that person at work starts making fun of you for your faith, instead of reacting, you'll just realize they're doing what people did to Jesus. When someone at your family get together for Thanksgiving here is criticizing your parenting decisions, instead of getting all worked up, you know, man, these people have an entirely different way of seeing the world. They're confused. They don't know Jesus. This is why at your family gatherings, you got that one crazy uncle that's always like ranting, like Trump this, Biden that. He's got smoke coming out of his ears. He's so mad, like spits flying out of his mouth. And you go into it and you're like, I'm not going to let him get to me this year. I'm not going to let him get to me. But then like this thing rises up in you and you're like, you know what? What do you expect? This guy, all of his hope is in politics. That's his, that's his only hope. So no wonder he's out of control ranting. He doesn't know any better. We know Jesus is our hope. So instead of getting mad at this guy, people in your life who see things differently, thank God that he opened your eyes and gave sight to the blind and spiritually blind. In Ephesians 2, it reminds us, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Praise God. Amen. Isn't that so good? But I love this passage because this is specifically for any of us. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little while and you kind of find yourself getting a little puffed up, up on your high horse looking down on those foolish sinners. Just remember, <laughs> we too were once dead in sin and making foolish choices, and we didn't earn our way here. We didn't work our way here. We received this salvation as a gift from God. So I'm thankful for that. And if you're here and you need to accept Jesus and receive that gift of salvation by God's grace, I'll give you a chance to do that in a few minutes. So there will always be people who disagree with you, who rub you the wrong way, who see things different. Let me give you some practical advice about how to deal with that. Here's the first thing. Recognize what is worth fighting for and what isn't. What is worth fighting for and what isn't. 
There's a lot of misunderstanding on this. Some people think Christians shouldn't fight about anything. These are the people who they, they, have, a different, they have a different view of Jesus. They, they see Jesus as that hipster, pacifist, millennial Jesus. It's like, you guys, stop fighting. Be nice. That's not Jesus. There are some things that are worth fighting for, and there are a lot of things that are not worth fighting for. A lot of the things we fight about as Christians are over what the Bible calls foolish arguments. It says in 2 Timothy 2, again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. There goes social media. Just delete it. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. So there, there are people that they just don't know better. They're ignorant spiritually. And arguing with them, it's just foolish. It only leads to fights. It's silly. You're probably not going to change their mind anyway. So think about this verse. Next time that you feel the desire to make a point, it might be better to just be patient and show kindness. But then you might ask, well, what is worth fighting for? That's a good question. Here are the three things I think are worth fighting for. There could be more, but this is, I think these are the most important things. First is the faith. The faith. There is one true faith. That's why I say, not faith, the faith. And what I mean is the only faith that saves. Believing in Jesus for salvation, it's a gift you receive by God's grace, not by works. We believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, that through Jesus we're going to be saved and live in heaven for all eternity, and we can trust him. We know that this faith saves Everything else is a lie. And so I think it's worth fighting for the true faith. And I don't mean fighting against other religions. No, they, they're lost. I'm talking about Christians, people who call themselves Christians, who preach a false gospel. Or what Paul calls another gospel. Another gospel that doesn't save. There are Christians who don't believe Jesus is the only way to be saved, who don't believe the Bible is God's word, who don't believe that there is a hell, that there is a right way to live, that marriage is between one man and one woman. And these people call themselves Christians. This is a false gospel. It's false teaching that is demonic, and it's worth fighting over. People that say those things, I mean, those are fighting words. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Them is fighting words too. So those things are worth fighting over. What's not worth fighting over is opinions on secondary matters. These are things where there's room to disagree because they're not matters of salvation and life and death. They're, they're secondary things. Like what kind of worship songs should we sing? Or what translation of the Bible is best? People argue about that. You know what I say? I don't care. I just want you to read any translation of the Bible. Because <laughs> most people's problem is they don't read any translation of the Bible. So you could read the KGV, the NIV, the E. I don't care. Just read it. People argue about how should churches look and what should they, what should they, what, what kind of people should we let come out? What kind of clothes should they have to wear? What kind of TV shows and movies should we watch? How pandemics should be handled. It was a tough crowd tonight. Yeah. 
A lot of the arguments in churches are over these things. Christians with a difference of opinion. And that's why Romans 14 talks about accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So some things are disputable. And in a large church, there's room for a lot of opinions on these things. It's usually silly to leave a church over a disputable matter. But some things are not disputable. And those things we must be united on or we'll fight. We will fight. (laughs) Just warning you. Okay, I don't expect that to happen with any of you. Here's something else worth fighting for. Your family. Your family. Don't let anything divide your family. Don't let anything come between you and your spouse. Do whatever it takes to protect your marriage. Do whatever it takes to guide your children towards Jesus and model that lifestyle for them. So with your marriage, you got to protect it. you got to stay on top of it. Anything you take for granted will eventually leave your life. Don't let some homewrecker work her way into your marriage. Your husband comes home talking about his work wife? No. No. Your wife comes home talking about some guys or best friend? No. You don't need to be hanging out, getting lunch dates with people of the opposite sex. I don't care if it's for work. No. Protect your marriage. Fight. If you have a conflict in your marriage, if you feel like you've been drifting apart for months now, and, and you're just not talking about it because you're afraid of what you'll find, you've got to fight for your marriage. In fact, for some of you, the best thing you could do is go home and fight. Not physically. (laughs) Don't start swearing at each other. But I mean, like, have it out. Talk about what it is that's between you. Get through it. Fight. And then you can have makeup sex. Come back and thank me next week. Don't let some other person talk abusively to your kids. Protect them. It's your job to fight for them. Uh, Don't let your kids stop going to church just because they throw a fit and would rather be, I'm tired. No, please. Why are you trying to force me? Get up. We're going to church. But I want to play on the sports team. No, you're not going to be a professional athlete. You will stand before Jesus. We're going to church. Well, pastor, shouldn't we let them make their own choices? No. When they pay rent in their own house, they can make their own choice. And here's the thing, because some of you, this is new. Like if you're a parent, you're like, I don't really understand. You can't force them to believe, but what you're doing is you're forcing them to sit in an environment where they're being bombarded with the truth, surrounded by God's people, in God's presence, they ain't going to be able to help themselves but believe. They'll, they'll believe. They'll come around. You got to fight for your family. And what happens is some people, especially if you grew up in a, a, a home with a lot of conflict, some people, some of you get conditioned to you just avoid conflict. Some of you just, you hate conflict. You can't stand it when there's tension. You just don't talk about it. You avoid it. You run away from it. And that's not right. That's not going to work. You're the person you say, like, well, it's, it's not worth fighting over. Don't rock the boat. I'm just keeping the peace. Your daughter comes home with some scumbag boyfriend. Well, it's not worth fighting over. Yes, it is. Your kids all, I don't want to go to church. It's worth fighting over. Fight for your family. There are some things. Ding, ding, ding. Fight. Here's the third thing. Your freedom. It's worth fighting for your freedom. 
we are the freest country that has ever existed. And unless you lived in another country and immigrated, none of us have ever lived under true tyranny. And so we don't fully appreciate how terrible it is and how much suffering it causes. America was started because the founding fathers wanted us to be free to worship our God the way that we felt inclined to worship and to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And some people want to take that freedom away from you. Some people in other nations want to take that freedom. It would be more than happy to take it. Some people in our own country want to take that freedom away from you. There are people who think you're too stupid to make decisions for yourself and for your children. And that the government needs to make these decisions for you, lest little old you hurt yourself. The path to tyranny is a slippery slope. It starts out with little compromises of our freedoms. And freedom is a precious thing to God. It's kind of a theme throughout the whole Bible. Freedom. God setting the captive free. Because in freedom, we reduce human suffering and we are allowed to prosper. But we don't want to take it for granted. Ideally, ideally, we can defend our freedom through the democratic, peaceful process, voting, and diplomacy. That's how we're called to first and foremost fight for freedom. So vote your values. But sometimes you have to physically fight to protect freedom. And I know that for a lot of us that can be weird to think about, but don't, don't forget it hasn't been that long since our grandfathers and great-grandfathers literally shed their blood so that we could live in freedom. And that's something that we know, man, it goes back to Jesus on the cross. You cannot be free without blood being shed. And it's something that's worth fighting for. Okay, that's pretty intense. Most of our problems with difficult people aren't matters of life and death. So, know when to walk away. When you're frustrated with people, know when to walk away. This last summer, uh, we had a little family get together up in the mountains. And I was going for a walk with my brothers. And we walked by this, this old guy. Uh, and he started just like mouthing off to us and giving us attitude and I don't know if it's because like, I was in a different zip code or something, but I just lost my mind for a minute. And I was just like, you know what? And my littlest brother, he's like 12 years younger than me. He's like, Ryan, come on, you're a pastor. We got to walk away, walk away. You're a pastor. And I'm like, oh yeah, I am a pastor and a Christian. And I probably should act like it. <laughs> there are some things, you just got to walk. You're, sometimes, you know, like, I feel like sometimes I'm a pastor, but I'm barely saved. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to walk away from the people who offend you. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.39. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, whoosh, offer the other cheek also. And here's what that means, because people get confused about this. This doesn't mean that you should let someone beat you up. Right? This doesn't mean that you should live with someone who's physically abusing you. Just, okay, turn the other cheek, psh, psh, psh. <laughs> I'm trying to love you, Lord. Like, no. That's not, it's not saying you have to let someone physically abuse you. Jesus was talking to an honor-based society. Okay, so in Eastern cultures and Asian cultures, a lot of these cultures are, are honor-based societies where if someone offends you or insults you, 
uh, or disrespects you, you're honor bound to defend yourself and your reputation and your name. So if, if someone even insults you, you'd see in these cultures a lot of times, people would fight to the death over an insult. And Jesus was saying, stop that. <laughs> stop that. And we don't oftentimes fight to the death over insults, but we come close, lose our minds sometimes when we perceive people as disrespecting us or undermining us or taking us for granted. Maybe it's someone who cuts you off in traffic or someone who made fun of you or I don't know, but a lot of times you know, we get so offended and we live in a world where people want to be offended. You know what I'm talking about? And so we get sucked into that sometimes, easily offend, like we're looking for someone to insult us. You're just like, you're like so easy. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? What do you mean, you people? What's that supposed to mean? Excuse me? Christians aren't supposed to act that way. We're not supposed to be easily offended. We're not supposed to be looking for slights and offenses. The Bible teaches us, turn the other cheek. No one to walk away. Let God defend your honor. You don't have to respond to that insult. You don't have to respond to that person who offended you. You don't have to get outraged. You can brush it off. You can let it roll off you like water off a duck's back. You don't have to give in and react. I know, man, this world, people want to be offended. They're looking for even microaggressions. I don't even know what that means. Back in my day, we used to just call that being rude and insensitive. Microaggressions. You don't have to get offended. So just know, sometimes you just got to walk away and know when that moment comes. And here's the thing. This is kind of, this is going to throw some of you off. Sometimes you even have to walk away from other Christians. From other Christians. There are some Christians, like, they might be saved and will and I'm glad, I'm glad that they are. And we'll be in heaven together, worshiping Jesus for eternity. But that does not mean we have to be together now. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? There are some Christians I'm just not going to be friends with. <laughs> like, I'm glad they're saved, right? But, but there are some people, you just have to know when to walk away. Like, I've had people get mad at me because I blocked them. On, so, You're a pastor and you blocked me? And I'm like, look, look, listen, Jesus will never block you, but I will. I will. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to walk. And this is biblical. I'll show you. Acts 15, it says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in P-Town and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated over it. They had a disagreement about John Mark because he had been flaky before. And John Mark broke up the band. Paul and his boy Barnabas, they had been partners like Batman and Robin. And they just split up over a disagreement. And you know what? Honestly... That's not the ideal scenario, but it's better than Christians fighting with each other over disputable matters. You don't have to tear down everyone who disagrees with you. Just walk away. This is why we have multiple denominations within Christianity, because Christians disagreed on some disputable matters, 
And although it, it might not actually be ideal, there's not going to be like denominations in heaven, but it's, it's probably better than if they were fighting with each other because Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The truth is that there are some people you just can't reason with. They just have really strong opinions and they won't be swayed. All you can do is walk away and that's okay. I'm giving you permission to walk away from some people if you need to. You can't be on the same page with everyone all the time. But how you react to disagreeable people reflects on Jesus, either positively or negatively. So we want to react in the right way. Romans 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love this scripture. Because first off, it shows you it's not always possible. And that's a huge relief, because I know some of you, you cannot stand it if anyone has an issue with you. Especially like, I think especially girls do this, right? Like, what do you mean she doesn't like me? Why? What did I ever do to her? Like, oh, what is, what's going on? What do you mean? It's like, some people just aren't going to like you. They don't recognize your greatness. But it says, as far as it depends on you, you're not responsible for what they do. But as far as it's up to you, try to live at peace with everyone. This is something I want to do better at. This is something that I've not always done as well as I want to. There have been times, man, if you catch me on a bad day, I've been too quick to get upset or view people in a hostile way. And if I'm not careful, I could become a disagreeable person. So I want to, I want to grow in that area. I think God wants all of us to grow in that area because these last couple years have kind of sucked us in to the divisiveness of the world. So let me talk lastly about just really quick four practical tips how to avoid becoming a disagreeable person. First, avoid harsh words. You can have a debate, man. You can have a passionate argument with someone, but don't start yelling and insulting each other. Don't curse at that person. You have an argument with someone, listen, don't start swearing at them. My dad told me when I was younger and growing up, he would say, when you curse at someone, you give up the moral high ground. And you'll find that's true even like a business negotiation and any kind of conflict. Don't. You give up the moral high ground. That's such wisdom. And we all know how when you start insulting each other and talking trash, things can just get out of hand so quick, can't they? That's why it says in Proverbs 15, there's a better way. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So you can, re here's a funny thing. You can actually set someone straight. But if you do it with a gentle tone, it's going to work out way better. You can actually de-escalate that situation. And set, instead of pouring gas on the fire with insults and curse words and demeaning language, right? It's incredible how just staying calm can just put the fire out. Here's the second thing. Think before you speak. Because hmm. some of you have a pretty quick wit. And it's real easy for you to come with that one-liner, that zinger, that jab, that comeback. And I'll be honest, it would be hilarious if you said that. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you should. <laughs> It says in James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is probably my least favorite verse in the Bible. 
Proverbs 21 says, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. <laughs> I was that kid. I was that kid. I would always just dig myself deeper and deeper. I'd, I'd be getting in trouble with the teacher. I'd be getting demerits at the Christian school I went to. That detention was like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. I'm there, oh yeah, deeper. Well, you're deeper. I'd go home, my dad would just be like, Ryan, you've got to learn when to keep your mouth shut. Some people, they think that saying shut up is like the meanest thing you can say. The Bible says it's like the wisest thing you can do sometimes. (laughs) The world is always like, speak your truth, girl. The Bible's like, shut up, fool. Just shut your mouth. Because we rarely get ourselves into trouble for being quiet, for keeping our mouth shut. It's usually that we say something that we didn't quite want to say, and we can't take it back. And so, man, we got to learn just to think and, and be, cl- be slow to speak. And if it's really worth saying, because there are some things that, that need to be said. If it's really worth saying, it'll still be worth saying later. Here's the third thing. Seek understanding. Foolish people assume I'm right, everyone else is wrong, and don't bother trying to confuse me with the facts. In Proverbs 18, it says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. The problem is the people who need this advice the most are the least likely to take it. Don't be that know-it-all person who thinks he knows everything, who can't be told she's wrong, That's where we get the saying, you can't fix stupid. (laughs) Wise people, likable people, they ask questions, they listen, they think, you know, there could be some things in this wide world that I don't know yet. Hmm. And here's the fourth thing. Be a peacemaker, not a peace taker. This is the last thing. Disagreeable people, man, they're just looking to get in fights, get them in a bad mood, and they're just looking for someone to say something. or Give, give me an excuse. Just give me an excuse so I can lay into you. Peace takers, they won't forgive. They won't overlook any offense. They hold on to grudges. They assume everyone is an enemy until proven innocent. But peacemakers... Look for opportunities to build bridges with even people who are different. Peacemakers forgive offenses, let go of grudges. Peacemakers will even reach out a hand of of peace, an olive branch, to the person who you had a fight with, even if it wasn't your fault, for the sake of peace. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. What about you? Have you been a peacemaker? Or are you someone who's gotten sucked into fighting, holding on to grudges, and being hostile and harsh towards people? Do any of you currently have any relationships that are on life support? It's like they're practically dead. And maybe if, you, if you'd reach out, call that person and, and say, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry for how I hurt you. And I, I do care about you. And I want to have a relationship with you. What, what if that just breathed life back into the relationship? That would make you a peacemaker. It's kind of funny how, you know, with kids, we're always trying to figure out, like, who do they look more like? Like, mom or dad? With, with Lila, people will say, oh, she looks just like you. 
I'm like, thanks, that's crazy. She's adopted. <laughs> but awesome. And with most kids, you're like, yeah, she looks like, oh, that, he's just like you the way he does. Oh, she's just like you. And here's the thing. When you make peace with people, you look just like your father. Because that's what he did. We were born into this world hostile towards God as enemies who chose to break his laws and reject him. And yet, he's the one who built the bridge to us by sending Jesus to come and be one of us and be with us and die for us so that we could be forgiven and restored to God in relationship. And, and through Jesus and faith in him, we are transformed from enemies of God into family of God. We become his sons and his daughters. He has made peace with us possible. And so I want to ask you, do you have peace with God? Until you believe in Jesus and trust him for salvation, you are not at peace with God. There's no more important peace than the peace of God, which is only available through Jesus. So as I wrap this up, I first just want to say if you're here, you're a Christian, maybe the Lord is challenging you in how you deal with difficult people to show kindness and patience and to be a peacemaker. And if you have difficult people in your life that you have to deal with on a regular basis, if you're a human and you're alive, that's you, God wants to help you to think and to speak and to act like Jesus would. And if you're here and you say, I want to be saved by grace, the way that you're talking about. I want to have my eyes open. I want to be at peace with God. Then you need to accept Jesus, and this could be your night for that. So let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes for a moment. And if that's you, I want to lead you in this prayer. Just pray this with me wherever you're at, between you and God. I'm just going to lead you. You can just repeat after me. Pray to God yourself. Just say, Jesus, I ask you to save me. I believe that you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. I believe that you rose again so that I could have eternal life. I thank you for loving me. And I ask you to lead me. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In your name I pray, amen.